108, Psalm 108, as we hear the word of the Lord, much shorter psalm than the last couple that we've looked at, but let us stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord found in Psalm 108, a song or psalm of David. O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people, and I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy truth reacheth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth that thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and answer me. God hath spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Eden will I cast out my shoe. Over Philistia will I triumph. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, who has cast us off? And wilt not thou, O God, go forth with our hosts? Give us help from trouble. For vain is the help of man. Though God, through God we shall do valiantly. For he it is that shall tread down our enemies. And this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we look at Psalm 108 tonight, I thought it would be helpful to kind of approach this psalm from the perspective of the entirety of the book of Psalms. Oftentimes we look at the Psalms individually, but I think it's helpful for us to see them in connection to the whole. But as we make our way through the Psalter, I think one of the difficulties we encounter is how do we interpret 150 Psalms? They're all different. They all deal with a particularly different theme, but we typically see them as individual Psalms. And some would see them as disconnected and difficult to outline. But I think we need to see the entire Psalter as a whole and to understand its parts. There is no chronological order to the Psalms or arrangement. But there is a connection that we see within all the five books of the Psalters that moves from one theme to another. Dr. Robert Godfrey has said that the Psalms, in their Hebrew title, is called the Book of Praises. And because it is called the Book of Praises, it moves from each book to this call to give God praise. And he says there's a progression that moves to God's people giving praise to their covenant God, who is Zion's king. He further states, and I think this is a point that I think we would remember well, that the Psalms, as all of Scripture, is inspired by God as his word to us. But he says it is in the Psalms that we find he has given 
us his word that we might speak it to him. In fact, the French Huguenots in the 1600s, as they were marching toward death, as they were being led to die by their martyrs, what were they doing? They were singing the Psalms of Zion. And in the midst of their despair, in the midst of their persecution, they saw the Psalms as God's words to them to be spoken at right times. And so we need to see, again, the Psalms as the church's songbook, filled with wonderful promises concerning Christ and His church. <coughs> we dealt with this, I think, last week in our reading with the uh, group that gathers on the third Sabbath of the month for our book reading through um, the uh, hermeneutics or how to interpret Scripture by Louis Burkhoff. And there, I think in that last part of the book, I think uh, save the best for last, how to interpret the Psalms. But in there, I think it makes a point that we often miss, that we want to see Christ in all of the Psalms. Sometimes He's not clearly seen, but it all speaks of Christ. So I thought it would be helpful this evening as we look at Psalm 108 to go back just briefly and look at each one of those five books of the Psalter and see the connection between all of them and how we approach, particularly, Psalm 8. As we saw in Book 1, which covers Psalms 1 through 41, those, those 41 Psalms there have that theme of confidence in God's care. Particularly, they are mostly personal Psalms. But in the midst of suffering, we find confidence in God's care and it begins there in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so there he begins with his confidence in God's care. But in the second book, which covers Psalms 42 through 72, we see a commitment to God's kingdom. The movement toward including the nations as God's people. You don't see that theme particularly in the first book, but in the second book, you see this movement to the kingdom of God where the nations are now being drawn in as God's people. And so we want to see the Psalms, as I've said before, as a missionary book, as a speaking of the nations who are called to worship this God. Book 3, covering Psalms 73 through 89 covers a crisis over God's promises. A crisis over God's promises? Well, we say there's a crisis in the, over God's promises because these psalms particularly speak of distress in difficult times. Exile has come to God's people with the city of Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed. And there at the end of book 3 in Psalm 89, it ends with, Lord, how long will this continue? Where is Israel's king in the midst of her distress? And is that not a prayer that we feel that we should oftentimes pray? I think the Psalms give us a particular um, point here in the third book that we can pray that prayer. Lord, what are you doing? How long will your people live in distress? Where is our king? 
There's a crisis here. It's perfectly right for us to ask that question. The psalmist asks it. And so there's a crisis. But book 4 in Psalms 90 through 106 find comfort in the faithfulness of God. And so we're moving from this point of, of crisis. We're moving to this place of comfort in the faithfulness of God that he will provide that safety, that he will provide what we need in those times of difficulty. And so Psalm 106 in that fourth book ends with God leading his people out of the bondage of sin. We come to this last book, Psalm book 5, which covers Psalm 107 through 150. And the theme of this book is confidence in God's salvation. Here's the climax of the Psalms that leads, as Dr. Palmer Robertson says, it leads to the consummation of the kingdom of God. So we've moved from God gathering the people out of the nations of the earth and bringing them to that place of worship. And that's really the theme of the fifth book, that God brings his people. There's a consummation to where they are led to that place where they worship God. And so God leads his people to a place of safety. God leads his people where they become a worshiping community. And so as we look at this fifth book, Psalms 108 through 110 cover three psalms that form the third collection of David's psalms in the Psalter. We've seen the first two collections. Now we see the third collection of the Davidic Psalms in 108 through 110. And we will cover this later as we get into these particular psalms. But in Psalm 111 through 117, we find the first collection of what is called the Hallel Psalms or the Hallelujah Songs. In Psalm 118 through 119, we see a messianic psalm in the context of the Torah, or the law of God given to his people. And then in Psalms 120 to 150, we have four collections in the second portion of the fifth book. But I think it's helpful for us to see the connection with all of these psalms and to come to the place where we begin to love the Psalms and see that the Psalms are indeed the the songs of the church, but they certainly are the songs that we sing in the midst of this valley of death. So we move to Psalm 108. Charles Spurgeon calls this the warrior's morning song. As David faces the daily battles, as David faces those daily conflicts of the day, he gives his praise unto God. All believers are warriors in this valley of death, in this veil of tears. But we face our battles with joy and confidence in this God who is our shepherd and our king. And what is to see here, particularly in Psalm 108, that we do have confidence. But our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in our God, who indeed will, will bring vengeance upon all of our enemies and upon his enemies. And then even in the battles of life, 
we can face those battles with joy and confidence. So tonight, all of us struggle with all of those daily battles, with health issues, with family issues, with job issues, whatever they may be, personal conflicts, personal battles with sin. And yet in the midst of all of those, the believer's call is to rest in the confidence and the assurance of this God who indeed does all things well. And so this song is to be sung with jubilation as the warrior's hymn. And so the song is that, that jubilation, that, that triumphant song. As it was read in the, call, in the call to worship earlier tonight. But, but also as a sacred psalm, we see the solemnity of this particular psalm. So I want us to look at three things tonight. In verses 1 through 5, the psalmist calls the people of God to give praise. Secondly, in verses 6 through 12, we see the prayer of faith for the preservation of the church. And then thirdly and finally, in verse 13, we see that assurance of God's victory in the midst of life's battles. And so as we look Verses 1 through 5, this praise, this thanksgiving of faith, and this promise of praise. The psalmist starts out and says, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Now we've seen this before when we looked at Psalm 57 and Psalm 60. But these first five verses are found almost verbatim with Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11. And if you go and look at Psalm 57, um, verses 7 through 11 for just a moment, the question, and, and particularly liberal scholars and, and the critical scholars who love to destroy the Scriptures and find discrepancies in it, they will point to Psalm 57... And they will point to Psalm 60 and says, well, look here. What happened? Psalm 57 is almost a word for word as Psalm 108. So what is taking place here? Well, when you look in Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11, they are almost verbatim as Psalm 108 verses 1 through 5, but the main difference is the position of the verses. And if you look at Psalm 57 verses 7 through 11, you will find the very words that are in Psalm 108 verses 1 through 5. But Psalm 57, 7 through 11 ends with praise after prayer. But Psalm 108 begins with praise and ends with prayer. Now that's, that's a switch. And yet, David, who wrote Psalm 57, David, who wrote Psalm 60, and David, who wrote Psalm 108, perhaps it might seem repetitious. But in the context of this psalm, he is using those very words for a different purpose in mind. 
Psalm 57 verses 7 through 11 take place in a different setting. In fact, you'll see it in the title of Psalm 57. Where does it take place? It takes place in a cave where David has fled from Saul. Why would David go to a cave? Perhaps David, as often as the reformers did, would, would flee, would retreat in times of persecution. But David wasn't hiding out in a cave having a pity party. David was hidden in a cave fleeing from Saul, and as he's there, he begins Psalm 57, asking, Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm in trouble. I cry unto thee. And then, verse 4, he says, My soul is among the lions. I lie even among them that are set on fire. And so here in Psalm 57, David is threatened by his enemy. David, who is hiding out in that cave, is pleading for the Lord's mercy that he would protect him in the midst of this, this battle. But there, as he offers up that prayer unto God for deliverance, he turns to these words found in verses 7 through 11. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. And in the midst of that particular battle, David's heart does not waver from confidence in his God. But in Psalm 108, it's a little different because there's no particular situation. There's no particular event like him hiding in a cave. And most likely, this is later in the life of David. But David simply begins with praise unto his God and then prays for help. And so, as David prays this particular psalm, he is beginning to see that there are daily battles that we all face. But he begins here in Psalm 1 and says his heart is ready, his heart is fixed to give praise. It is this Hebrew expression of being prepared or ready. It is a heart fixed for a holy duty. We've seen this before in the Psalms. But this is the main duty of the saints, to give praise unto God. Always be ready for this holy duty. In fact, as we think about approaching each Sabbath day and come to Friday and sometimes uh, it goes into Saturday trying to get the bulletin out so everybody can see it before the, the Sabbath service, and you think, where did the week go? You just feel like, you know, what, what, what happened during this week? There's a lot to be accomplished. So sometimes we come to that holy day Frustrated, perhaps we come ill-prepared, perhaps we come with all the burdens of life, and the question is, are we prepared and ready for this holy duty? And sometimes, I have to confess, we're not always ready for this holy duty. But the question is, as it is for David, is your heart fixed? Is your heart ready for this sacred duty? 
And here in Psalm 108, it is the duty of meditation. It is, the da- it is that daily duty of thinking upon God and ordering our thoughts rightly. And so here in this first verse, we see that David's heart is fixed. It's ready. Archibald Alexander, an American Presbyterian pastor and one of the early professors at Princeton Seminary, the old Princeton, said this, Fixedness of purpose is a much better evidence of genuine piety than the most elevated feelings of joy. And this is an evidence which the Christian possesses in his darkest hours of discouragement. Our sensible feelings are much more connected with the state of our nervous system than is commonly supposed. But the steady, fixed purpose of the will is a good evidence that the heart has been renewed. And so in the midst of life's battles, as we are reminded from Archibald Alexander, it's not those elevated feelings of joy. It's not that, that uh, warm, fuzzy feeling that we get inside. But it's that confidence and that assurance in this God in the midst of the darkest days, in the midst of discouragement, that we find that our heart is renewed, that our heart is fixed upon this purpose. And David says his heart is particularly fixed upon singing and giving praise unto God with my glory. And so, as David speaks of giving praise unto God with my glory, he says that he sings and gives praise with my glory. That that phrase, my glory there, particularly has reference to the tongue. Because as man is the crown of God's creation, as man is created in the image of God, as man is created to reflect the glory of God, so in worship, the believer is is created to give glory and praise unto God. So David says his heart is fixed, his mind is fixed, and now his tongue is, His glory is prepared to give praise unto God. Our tongues, distinct from an animal who has no soul, is the glory of man. And so here David begins to give praise with his tongue. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 45.1. It's a beautiful psalm where the psalmist says, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the King, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And my tongue, the psalmist says, is the pen of a ready writer. And as the psalmist begins to use his tongue like an author or writer, he begins to speak of the children of men whom God has poured grace upon. And he begins to show there in that psalm 
that literally his works, his words, are like a pen, like a stylus, who des- describes the glory and praise of God. Well, here David says that I will give praise with my tongue. My tongue is a ready pen. The tongue is man's primary instrument of worship and comes from a heart and affections filled with grace. James reminds us that with the tongue we can curse men or curse God, and yet we with the tongue can praise God. And so the psalmist says that the tongue must be redeemed, the heart must be redeemed, and so the tongue must be redeemed so that our worship might come from a heart and affections filled with grace. Oftentimes our worship can become very mechanical. It become become very ordered, even in our Presbyterian form of worship, which is very simple and orderly. We can still come with that sense of, of, of an empty mind, of an empty heart. We're just going through motions. But that's not what the psalmist has in mind here. His heart is fixed and ready to give praise with his tongue that he might worship this God who indeed is a glorious and mighty God. And then he begins to, to state there in verse 2, Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. And so here, David speaks of stirring up the heart early, of, of awaking his heart that he might be stirred to this point of worship. Perhaps we've never thought of this, and this is a thing that often many of us struggle with, but the benefits of rising early. I confess as I get older, I am not one that rises earlier. And yet there's something about arising early in the day where there's less noise, less distraction, less interruption, where we can have the benefit of stirring our hearts to praise. And I think one thing we particularly find in this psalm, it speaks of David, but again, we want to see in this Christ. Doesn't Christ pray on behalf of the church? Haven't we seen even tonight the call to prayer? Seeing that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God, it's speaking with God. The God who hears our supplications. The God who hears the prayers and the cries of his people. A wonderful verse there from Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge to us. I appreciate the, the point there in unburdening our hearts before God that prayer is the pouring out of our complaints into his bosom. And here David is is ready to give praise unto God. But he stirs his heart early that he might give praise unto God. But notice there in verse 3, he says, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. And so here David says that praise is to be within the assembly of the saints. There is a call to corporate worship here. 
Do not keep silent. Do not keep silent, for even the very stones will cry out in praise unto God. But here, as, as David makes his way through this psalm, he speaks of praises unto God, where? Among the nations. Here again is the evangelistic thrust of the psalms. That as the gospel goes out to the nations, it is the Africans, it is the Asians, it is the people from the Middle East, it's the people from North and South America, it's people from all over the globe that are being assembled. And this is the theme that we saw in the end of of the fourth book, that God is drawing people out of the nations of the earth for what purpose? that they might worship this king, that they might worship this God. And so he says, I, that is David, will praise thee among the people. Oftentimes we we think of, of our worship just being kind of right here in this little huddle, this little corner. But you know what? Greater uh, blessing to find that as we worship God in different nations of the earth, I remember First time I did a missionary internship in seminary, went to Kingston, Jamaica. That was a wonderful time of worshiping uh, and fellowshipping with those brothers and sisters I never met. Yet that's the point of the praise, the praise among the nations, the praise of God's people from all corners of the globe. Then David says here in verse 4, my, for thy mercy is great above the heavens and thy truth reacheth unto the clouds. And here David speaks um, in praise of the mercy of God, that God has shown mercy to the nations of the earth, that God has shown the mercy of his salvation. And that that mercy is, is exalted above the heavens. It's, it's seen as something far greater than the heavens. Thy truth reaches unto the clouds. And so here we see that even the mercy and the, the uh, truth of God reaches unto the clouds. And so David continues there in this psalm. And he says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth. Here David reminds us that God is exalted above the heavens. But God indeed is exalted far above all rule, authority, and power. That He is the King who is exalted above all that He has created. He is the King who shows forth His power and His mercy. And this King, as the one who is elevated in splendor, is to be worshipped. I remember just the bits and pieces of the coronation of King Charles III that I watched. I haven't had time to watch the whole whole thing. But as he ascends to the throne and you see all the pageantry of that, and as his son comes up to him and he's dressed in, in royal robes, he kisses his father on both sides of the cheek, showing his submission to the king. His own son showing submission to the king. But as you see all the pageantry of that, that does not hold a candle to the majesty and the glory of our God who's exalted above the heavens and the earth. 
For He indeed is to be worshipped. He is a glorious and majestic God. And so, perhaps to set up the text for this coming Lord's Day, to have a heart that's fixed, a heart that is steadfast, is important for a double-minded man whom James chapter 1 verse 8 says is unstable in all of his ways. The man whose heart is fixed on worshiping God, the man whose heart is fixed on his purpose to give praise and adoration unto God is not a double-minded man. He's a man who's uns- is a man who is stable, a man who is fixed, a man who is steadfast. And that's really the theme of this psalm. That David's confidence is in this God. That he is steadfast and unmovable. The nations of the earth are at war when the nations of the earth seem to be tottering. David's heart is fixed. David's heart is steadfast. So what makes it hard for us to fix our heart upon God? We are overcome with all of these distractions. We are overcome perhaps with distractions of our own making. We get ourselves too busy, too overburdened, too taxed with things that just draw us away from important things. But how do we fix our heart upon God? Perhaps we can do that more appropriately by setting aside times when we're not distracted with with all the other things of life. Sometimes I find it distracting when you get 80 or 100 emails a day and you think, why is this so important? And you just begin to delete them because you can't possibly answer all of them. And yet our heart can sometimes be overwhelmed by these things. We can be overwhelmed by the news or things in life. David's heart is fixed. But then as he moves to verses 6 through 12, we see this prayer of faith. And I think in Psalm 108, which is a little different than Psalm 57 and 60, it moves from this, this place of giving praise to God to this prayer of faith, to this prayer of confidence. And so as you look at Psalm 6, or verses 6 through 12, and you go back to Psalm 60, Psalm 60 is also quoted verbatim in verses 5 through 12. If you look at Psalm 60, verses 5 through 12, it is almost verbatim to what you see in Psalm 108, verses 6 through 13. Those words in Psalm 60... Verses 5 through 12 speak of prosperity to come to Israel. And it is a consolation in the midst of trouble. But in Psalm 108, the troubles are ended. You notice there, Psalm 60 and Psalm 57, you see the troubles that David faces. Come to Psalm 108 and those troubles are ended. Oh, so if we follow Christ, our troubles will be over? Well, no, (laughs) that's not what Psalm 108 is saying. 
It is saying that because the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater David, is the King and Lord of the church, the troubles are ended. Oh yeah, we still have the battles and the trials in the midst of life. But in Psalm 108, the troubles are ended as David's son and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to sit on Zion's hill. And so you see that move to that fifth book of the Psalter, to Christ being exalted on Zion's hill. And here we see the Messiah has come and has conquered the nations, and they have submitted to the king. And so this is why David can pray with confidence. This is why we can pray with confidence. Because we have a king who's exalted in heaven. We have a king who is fully human like us. And yet as one who is fully God can certainly answer our prayers. And the psalmist begins there in verse 6 by saying, That thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and answer me. Here the psalmist speaks of of the beloved as the people of God. Psalmist calls the beloved God's people. And this is his prayer. As he moves from praise to prayer, his prayer is that the church might prosper, that the church might be defended, that the church might have victory in the midst of defeat. I think one of the things that we often miss, and I I think this particular psalm gives us a, a picture of that, But we miss the fact that we can have victory. Even when we face the battles of life, we can have victory in the midst of those. And so this prayer of faith for the preservation of the church is David's prayer. Save with thy right hand and answer me. That right hand that that rules, that right hand that brings judgment to the enemies of God, may that hand save me and answer me. And then the psalmist there in verse 7 says that God has spoken in His holiness. That God who indeed is holy, 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 as Isaiah cried out there in Isaiah chapter 6, that this thrice holy God indeed is holy, and that His holiness will indeed be known among the nations. I will rejoice. David can certainly rejoice with confidence in this God who indeed is holy. Then he begins to say there, that I will divide Shechem, I will meet out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the strength of mine head, Judah is my lawgiver, Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe, over Philistia I will triumph. Now when you look at Psalm 60, when the psalmist there is, is quoting word for word, verses 7 through 12. Here, in the washpot of which he speaks of, that Moab is my washpot, is a place where 
a tub provides washing for the feet. And what is that a sign of? That's a sign of humiliation. It's an image of taking possession and claiming ownership and triumph. And so the wash pot of Moab is the place where the feet are washed to show the humiliation that the nations who were once enemies of God, the enemies who once surrounded the kingdom of David, are now under the authority of God and now have bowed their hearts and their lives unto the king who is exalted in Zion. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Here again, we see the nations who were once enemies of God now being brought into the church. Wilt thou not, O God, wilt not thou, O God, which hath cast us off, and thou, O God, which did not go out with our armies? And then the psalmist ends there by saying, Give us help from trouble. Give us help, O God, for vain is the help of man. Psalmist reminds us not to put our trust and our confidence in horses or in men, but to put our trust in the Lord our God. Even in the scheme of our own nation, as we, we begin to, to moan and groan and, and look at all the corruption, even in our government, those things around us, why do we trouble ourselves? and not look to the Lord our God. It's vanity for us to look to to man for help. Here the psalmist reminds us that our confidence, our assurance is in the God who has judged and will judge our enemies and now gives us help from trouble. Isn't it amazing? And you see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. This man who there in in Philippians chapter 3 hated the church. He despised the church. He was an enemy of the kingdom of God. And the Lord struck him down on the Damascus road and blinded him. And then he was converted to Christ. One of the greatest missionaries in the history of the church was a persecutor. And how God can take the most vile, hated person who despises the church and turns them into one who gives praise and worship unto God. But all of us sitting here tonight, if we have come to faith in Christ, we're once enemies. We're once strangers unto God. Now, David says, he can pray with confidence because David prays to the greater David, to David's son, and to David's Lord, the one whom David had confidence in. So the confidence is found not just simply in words that we utter, but our confidence is, in, is found in the fact that we can ask anything in his name, and he will give it unto us. Here we find 
the third point, which we conclude with in verse 13. Through God, we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. As we talked this past Sabbath day in the the, uh, hermeneutics class at the Detroit's house, I think it's important for us to see that the The imprecatory psalms are not personal psalms that we pray against our enemies. That it is the Lord Jesus Christ who prays those prayers on our behalf. And we can certainly cry out to this God with assurance that he would indeed bring our enemies down. But notice in verse 13 as the psalmist closes. He says that those who know their God shall do great things that it is through confidence in our God that we do valiantly. Why is it that Jesus prays that his disciples' faith would be strengthened? Because their faith is weak. Our faith is often weak. And yet we need to understand that our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of that strong faith in him, we can do glorious things. We can do mighty things, we can have that victory. We can be assured of that victory even now. Oftentimes we don't think of victory much in this life. We think, well, victory is something that's going to come when Christ returns. But we find victory even now. The psalmist says, says, through God we shall do valiantly. For it is our God who will tread down our enemies. There's no fear, saints of God, that should weaken us. Faith is assured that God who has given us help will help to the very end. The Lord Jesus Christ is not some fair-weather friend. He is not a friend that just sticks with us for a season. He is a friend to the end. And as a friend to the end, He gives us confidence. Final victory is sure, but let us also remember that we see victory even now in the midst of battle. It is our God who upholds his people. It is our God who upholds strong and valiant people, who in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ do mighty and glorious things. Saints of God, as we go into this week, knowing that every day brings new battles, every day brings new discouragements, every day brings many things that could discourage us. Let us realize that through faith and confidence in our God, there's no reason for us to be discouraged. So let us go forth with faith. Let us go forth with confidence in this God who does valiant things. For indeed, those who know their God will do great things. And as Jesus told his his apostles, greater things will you do because I return to my Father. So saints of God, let us come with confidence and assurance to know that we shall do valiantly that the Holy Spirit who works in the life of the believer leads us from glory unto glory until that final day.
when we stand before Christ. And so the success of the church's missionary labor, the success of the evangelistic labors of the church do not depend upon the past victories of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they depend upon the assistance of the Holy Spirit who works through His people and who certainly works through the prayers of the saints with great confidence and assurance. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do come tonight with thanksgiving and praise as we consider that You are the God who is exalted in Zion, that You are the God who has promised that He will give us confidence and assurance in the midst of life's battles. Lord, we pray that as mighty warriors that we will face each day as warriors who greet the morning with that strong confidence and assurance, not in ourselves, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would encourage and strengthen our hearts tonight in the midst of all of the struggles of life, that we would come to find that our help comes from the one who made heaven and earth. And we pray that we might trust in thee, that we might lean upon thee, that we might find our confidence in thee, and know that the help of man indeed is vain. O Lord, bless this word unto our hearts, and grant us thy mercies, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we will conclude by singing Psalm 108a. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. And so let us sing this psalm to the glory of our God. My heart is fixed, O God. I'll sing my song to grace. My soul shall sing awake, O heart. At dawn I'll wake to praise. I will give thanks to Thee. Amen.